Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from Brooklyn, New York. Part two of the EPL preview special. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, man? Sometimes, Andrew, when you say... Oh, this game, it never stops. Oh, it's relentless. I just think it's like media radio guy hyperbole. Yeah. Oh, you know, soccer never stops. But I'm just looking through a few things unrelated to what we're about to do, mostly unrelated to what we're about to do. Just in the last 24 hours, Ricky Puig going to Los Angeles, possibly. Todd Bowley waking up every morning and just randomly picking a footballer he's heard of to try and sign for Chelsea. Unactivated palancas at Barcelona. Um. And then today, later today, Sligo Rovers against Viking Stavanger in the Europa Conference League. Mm. Just look at all of that. All of it. It's it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It does never stop. But I think that's how we like it. Ugh. I wouldn't I don't know that I'd want it any other way. I wouldn't want it any other way. It's it's brilliant to be able to come on and, and have this platform and, and talk to everyone about all these things that are happening. Although I do feel sometimes like it's an avalanche. But um, by the way, I should thank everyone for the avalanche of of mail for this uh, for this upcoming podcast. Oh my gosh, I know we were inundated in a way that is was almost unprecedented. One other thing with on the idea of it of the football never stopping. So like we have you know we watch all the games and all that stuff. But like now there's even the extra stuff that is. Like has emerged. I had my uh, my fantasy draft last night, so there yeah. was that. And then um, I believe today I haven't seen it yet. But JJ is today the Amazon Prime debut of Arsenal All or Nothing. It surely is. I mean, we we have a we have a DM this morning straight away. Can you talk about uh, All or Nothing Arsenal <laughs> and saw, especially? Right. A, and I'm like. Give me a second. That's what made me think of it because I was like, wait a minute, did I miss it? And so I went and checked and I was like, no, 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 it's today. So he reached out, like, it appeared on Amazon Prime. He's like, have you seen it yet? So So he's inhaled. He's (laughs) inhaled the whole thing because he's talking about stuff I haven't, you know, the way they drip feed stuff. So they drip feed it a bit about yesterday about how Arteta used the uh, speakers to play You'll Never Walk Alone at training ahead of a trip to Anfield. Didn't work. They well, got hammered. Yeah. Um, but but uh, to well, try th- and... These were clips that I think were sent out uh, beforehand. You know, they send out some no, that, clips. No, that's like... what I mean. Yeah, no, yeah. no, that's what I mean. So yesterday oh, okay. you were drip feeding that. But what he wanted to talk about was um, the owner's son and how he's portrayed mm-hmm. in, in, in the documentary. Haven't seen it. Couldn't tell you. Right. G- going to start it tonight, though. With a, I think I'll have a glass of wine tonight, Andrew. Oh, Wow. Yeah. Arsenal are a club that deserve a glass of wine to watch. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, you didn't. I think you came to the game just a bit past. Well, maybe just around the right. You remember like the the marble, the Art Deco entrance into the old Highbury, the marble okay. floors, and pre-game, you never saw an Arsenal uh, player, even at the early Thierry Henry years, you never saw a player come in in a tracksuit. They were always like in the full club tie and suit. That's Arsenal. That's that's the the grandeur of Arsenal. So they they deserve a glass of wine. All right, uh, I won't be partaking, but uh, you you do what you do. All right, what a show this is going to be. Like we said, this is the mailbag special. So all of your questions have been rolling in for the last several days. Now we're going to go through as many as we can. I can't promise all. 
Can't promise all. Never make a promise I won't keep. Um, but we're gonna we got a lot here. We got a lot here. And then later in the podcast, of course, our predictions. We'll close out with that. Sandwiched in between JJ. <sighs> I mean, the new voice of the Premier League for NBC here in the United States, Peter Drury, will join the podcast. That should be phenomenal. I can't wait. His voice is it's one of the most identifiable voices, I think, that there are in sports right now today. Um, and so hearing that voice with us is, is going to be jarring, but it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Yeah, and it, 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 it goes to show you what we think of our listeners, that their questions will be the appetizer to Peter Drury. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's right. That is cool. And let's just do it. Let's go right now. We've got them all here. All right. Should we just just start rolling through? Before, uh, yeah, just before we start, yeah. I should mention this. Uh, talking to listeners, in the last like three weeks, two people have r- c- come up to me in random situations. Brett at the airport to say hi and that he loves the podcast at Dublin Airport. Hmm. And uh, David at the uh, Seven Aside League that I play in, um, he just approached me last week. So the listeners, they're literally everywhere. And um, I do appreciate when people come and say hi and that they listen to the podcast. It's very nice. All right, let's start. Here we go. First question for the mailbag here in part two of our EPL season preview. Tommy from Grand Rapids, JJ, a very simple question. He just wants to know what's happening at Leicester City. Uh, not a ton. <laughs> uh, a lot. Well, I suppose it depends how you look at it. Who's coming in? No one. Who's going out? Potentially lots of rumors and a big name uh, in, in Kasper Schmeichel, who is going to take his talents to, to France. Yeah, to Ligue 1 uh, next season. He is uh, signing Nice after with Nice after 11 years at uh, Leicester City. 11 unbelievable years. And I'm sure when he joined, he couldn't possibly have thought everything that would happen to Leicester City, winning the Premier League, being, being in the Champions League, he couldn't possibly have thought that those things would, uh, would happen. Um, no, his experiences that, at that club, I mean, I mean, because it goes even deeper, right? Like, obviously, there's there's everything that, occurred for him on the field all the glory that was pretty much without precedent but I mean his connection I think with the fans even went up a level remember JJ when the chairman of Leicester City was killed in the helicopter crash I believe it was Casper Schmeichel who was one of the first on the scene Um, so he had a a unique attachment to that tragedy Um, so I mean he has you know in his time there um, his connection to that club is is I would think ranks up there with any member of that club in their in their entire existence. It's really um, an amazing yeah, and, and, amazing experience he, for him there. You know, when he came in, he I I don't like the term journeyman, but it's not like things had gone very well at Manchester City. He'd been released, he'd moved on, he'd had he'd had a spell at Leeds, if I remember correctly, and Leicester were not in the Premier League, so he could not have dreamt uh, about where this would go with FA Cups and yeah. Premier Leagues and. European football, all that. He, he couldn't possibly have. Uh, just speaking about Leicester right now, all you're hearing about is potential outgoings. I'm not seeing anybody come in uh, yet, not even many rumors. If Leicester keep what they have, I think they'll be in good shape. Um, but... So that, I, that was what I wanted to ask you about. So, okay, Leicester, they're the only club in the Premier League that has not made a signing at this point. The only one. Now, if you're them, but they also, up to this point, we'll see how things change, but up to this point, they haven't really had any truly consequential departures. There's a lot of rumors, 
But like, I mean, their goal, their goalkeeper, I would say. Well, but, okay, yeah. yes, yes, which we talked about. But I'm talking about the Fafana rumors, the James Madison rumors. Um, if they do, if they do keep these guys, but they don't add anyone, is that a good window? I think it's a fine window. I think it's okay. I mean, I, Leicester are just not at the level of a club that can absorb the the potential losses that we're looking at here like mm. two to three key players so if they keep them i think that's a that's a win they say in the premier league you know all these stupid kind of hype hyperbolic comments about you know oh if you're standing still you're going backwards well in this case in the craziness i think if Leicester can hold themselves together with the key players and keep keep what they have i think they'll be okay yeah i guess it depends what your ambitions are well right but I mean, who can they get in? What what are the options? What are they trying to do? Again, we're we're kind of scrambling around in the dark a little bit here because there are there, there's obviously time left in the transfer window, and we don't know who they are. They may, and they probably will do some business before the window closes. I just uh, I don't know what what that's going to be. It, it's uh, it's radio silence coming out of there, um, and and I'm sure there's rumors, but uh, I haven't heard anything substantial. All right. Uh, next question, JJ. This is um, I don't really know what to make of this. It's well, just... this is a this was a, a poll that was yeah. conducted, and I, I mean I took this down two days ago, so I'm sure it's overwhelming. Uh-huh. Um, this is from the animals, uh, or forward slash cut offside pod. If you want to join them on Reddit, do we get an EPL back for more cameo in the next pod? Seventy nine percent of people said yeah, or seventy nine votes for yes. I mean, there's many more votes now. Six no. Who votes no for that? And three, I'm new to the pod. What are you talking about? So um, you've said you're not going to give full EPL back for more. EPL back for more. There you go, everybody. You happy? That's all we're getting. <laughs> what do you want me to replay the song? I think we have to find a way to make it accessible to people so that they can play it whenever I they want. I actually don't know where the full version is. But uh, Yeah, it's, BS. Uh... I think it's wherever they they stored the uh, the Ark in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's somewhere in that warehouse. Oh my God! EPL back for more. <laughs> uh, Justin, Justin asks, have Everton done enough business this off season to avoid the drop? Seems they are lacking quality up front in particular. Uh, the shorter answer to that is, uh, I would say no, Justin. Um, and news yesterday broke. I haven't got a timeline unless you've seen it, Andrew, but Dominic Calvert-Lewin has a knee injury, so he won't feature this weekend. And technically right now they're left with one senior, because I'm sure there's there's younger players who are center forwards, but aren't one first-team regular center forward in Solomon Rondon. So let's talk about what's going on here. <laughs> um, have Everton done enough business this offseason to avoid the drop? Seems they are lacking quality up front in particular. It's a short question, two sentences, just littered with understatements. This situation yeah. is dire. I believe oh, that this yeah. is a really worrisome situation. Um, I mean, just to go through it, obviously they've lost Richarlison, who was probably their most dangerous attacker. They added Dwight McNeil. Okay, he appeared in 38 games for Burnley last season, didn't score. So I wouldn't necessarily hinge my hopes on him to make up the goal difference that they're going to lose out on with Richarlison. Then, like you said, the one thing that they did not need, uh, what's being termed as a freak preseason knee injury to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. 
We don't know, like you said, at this point, we're not entirely sure how long he'll be out. This was Frank Lampard. He said, we're assessing Dom's injury. No time frame has been confirmed, and we're pretty sure what level it is. So we're hopeful it's not long-term. Um, we'll miss him for Chelsea. He was looking in great condition and was training really well. It was a freak injury in training, which does happen. It's a shame, but we have to find the solutions to keep ourselves strong with Dominic before he returns. There are reports that it's going to be a month. Um, and if that's the case, it's probably a little bit more than a month because he'll have to kind of get back into shape. So, um, But they don't know. I would tell you, keep if you're an Everton fan, keep refreshing your Twitter and see if, if the updates come. Because at this point, my, my estimation would be a month or slightly more, four to six weeks, something like that. So okay. like you said, JJ, all right, so they've been left with one striker who is Solomon Rondon. But guess what? Remember near the end of last season, JJ, we talked about it on the podcast, the absolutely horrifying challenge that he threw in there that got him a red card? He's still suspended. So he's not even available. They don't have (gasps) anyone. They don't have a striker right now, at least for this weekend. So I don't know if if the Deli Alley revolution begins now. Um, I, I don't know. But at least for this game and... I mean, keep going. Okay, fine. Then Rondon comes back. Oh, problem solved. Like, it's not good. And I would say it's it's fortunate for them that there's still time to do business in the transfer window. But it takes two to tango. Like, it's one. It's it's all fine and good for them to want guys, but it's not a great situation there right now. I don't know what quality of striker you're going to get who who is motivated and and really wants to go there who will dramatically change the situation for them. I mean, look, if they had Calvert-Lewin, I like him. I'd say, okay, like, that's good. But that injury kind of throws a wrench into a lot of things right now for them. And I would be, at least for the start of the season, um, Frank didn't need this. Everton supporters didn't need this. It's not good. It's not good. Uh, I would agree with that. Uh, let's see. Instagram, Gregory J. Pete. How do we think the new rules, especially the new subbing rule, will affect the season? So should so, we go through them? I have a few listed here. Well, I'm, I've, I've, I've really only focused on the, the five substitutions oh, okay. that, are go- that are going to come in. What's, what are we talking well, about? We'll start with that, and then I'll just tell you some of the other new rules that have been instituted. Yeah, I, I, look, I'm I'm not sure where I fall on this. I, there are a, a group of supporters who are very concerned that the bigger teams, Liverpool, Manchester, Manchester City in particular, with depth, now will be able to empty the bench and will always have a solution, even when they're struggling in games and they can overwhelm with the with their strength and depth. There's an, there's another angle to that. Often Pep Guardiola doesn't even use the three substitutions that are available to him. We've seen stretches in games before where he's limited his subs. So maybe he won't want to do that. Maybe he doesn't want to do that because of his absolute need for control in games. And we have seen preseason friendlies and and often in other games, in tournament football and things of that nature, where introducing five substitutions, basically changing half of your outfield players, just creates a chaos in a site. It creates confusion. So is there an angle where we can say five substitutions actually may make the game more crazy and exciting? Possibly. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't have a super strong take either way on it. I'm generally fine with it. I obviously see the perspective of people that believe this will help the big teams that have bigger squads. But by the same token, if it's a smaller club that has been chasing around a Manchester City for 85 minutes... Um, it's not the worst thing in the world for them to be able to throw on a, a couple fresh defenders at the end of the game as well. Who uh, so uh, I don't know. I'm I'm fine. If with it, it affects the continuity of a team, 
and a manager. Well, that's up manager, to the manager to decide. I mean, uh, right? But I think that could be fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I'm I'm good with it. I'm I'm generally good with it. So some of the other uh, some of the other rules they're largely inconsequential, but I'll still read them out anyway. Uh, there's what's being called the multi-ball initiative. More balls being placed around the pitch to try to get play restarted quicker and reduce oh, time we had wasting. That already. Um, well, I just saw it posted in a, an article that I was reading yesterday okay. about it. Um, let's see. Goalkeeper positioning on penalties can begin deeper in the goal so they can generate more forward momentum on penalties. That's interesting. Um, yeah, they don't have to have a foot on the line. They they can't be beyond the line, but they can start behind it. Okay, that could, that could see some new techniques uh, mm-hmm. tried out. Uh, then there were a few other weird random ones that have been written in, made official. If a player... <laughs> The fact that someone felt the need to make this a rule is just funny to me. But um, if a player leaves the field of play to assault what is termed as an outside agent or a fan, play will restart with an indirect free kick for the opposing team. Okay, cool. <laughs> someone, I think we'll all be focusing on the assault right, in that scenario. Right. Someone felt the need to <laughs> institute that rule. Uh, only The fact that this wasn't clearly stated in the rules is beyond me, but um, so be it. The, this rule, only the goalkeeper can handle the ball in the penalty area. I, <laughs> We've all been operating under that for the entire history of the sport, but I guess now it was written more clearly. Uh, the what lead match that official, that no one else can have a hand, no one else can handle the ball. Like, pick it up or whatever. Oh, okay. Well, does that mean... It means exactly what you think. It's so obvious that I know it's hard for you to wrap your mind around. I felt the same way when I read it. No, so, but say like the ball say the ball goes out of play, right? Goes out over the end line. It's a it's a goal kick and it but it hits the advertising hoarding and falls to the center back and he picks the ball up with his hands and rolls it. So that I don't believe that's what it means. Okay. I'll I'll dig deeper though and I'll get back. I'll report back next pod. Uh, the lead match official must be the one to conduct the coin toss. I don't even know why I'm still reading these. Oh, um, stop. Yeah, come okay, on. Okay, yeah. Next, there's one more. It's even less important than that one. So continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Don Julio Vega. Is Patrick Vieira one of the managers to watch this season? Looks very promising. I would say he was one of the managers to watch last season. I mean, he was and, my uh, manager of the season a year ago. God, I got everything wrong about him. Got everything wrong. I think he'd done a great job. It's such a quick turnaround in styles for Crystal Palace from the Hodgson era, which was stodgy, stoic, and defensive into a fairly free-flowing attacking team. I would note as well that they ha- they were on the edge of finishing much in, a, in an even better position than they did had they not dropped points late at Everton on the last, obviously, that famous game. and But, but even before that, there was a, a result at Arsenal I think twice at Arsenal. Was it home and away at Arsenal where they could have got a point or a win? I, I can't quite remember, but they drop points in, in pretty annoying fashion. It'll be interesting to see if Palace can avoid second season syndrome, which is something that affects only football teams and your favorite band who bring out their first album's great, and then the second album is, is the tricky, difficult follow-up. Right. Uh, how do they cope with the loss of Conor Gallagher? That's another question, too. Mm. Uh, yeah, and that may come up later in this podcast. Just saying. Tim Rowe. What are your favorite or least favorite new kits this season? Oh, Love the pod. Here we go, JJ. What? Now coming down. <laughs> it's a fashion. It's fashion show music, JJ. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Got a bit, bit of a weird vibe from it there. No, this is like what you would hear in like a Miami fashion show coming down the runway. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I, I'm quick. I actually, um, 
I actually thought most were fine this year. Um, the the only ones the only one that I really didn't like I didn't love Bournemouth Home. I don't love kind of the lightning bolt looking lines oh, that they're using. Oh, I like that. Oh, well, all right. Different tastes. That's that's what makes the world go around. Uh, the ones I like, I like Manchester City's home kit. I kind of like that maroon trim around the edge of the mm, sleeves. No. Uh, Tottenham as well. They kind of have the, the similar look with the yellow trim at the edge of their sleeves. I like that look. Works for me. Um, Nottingham Forest, JJ. It's not that I have a problem with teams that have sponsors on their jerseys. It's fine. I've gotten used to it. But teams that don't, it stands out to me in a cool way. Uh, I, so, I, I have that written down. That is just, I, I, I don't know. Are they not going to have a shirt sponsor? I don't know. But oh, the, the ones awesome. that I saw don't. So, I mean, I, I actually like. I think their kit maker is Macron, and I, I quite like their stuff. Hmm. And but this elevates it. You have any others? Yeah, uh, you you kind of crossed over on the Bournemouth stuff. I like Palace's uh, home effort too. The Adidas home Leicester with the white collar, quite nice. I like that little effort. Not a huge fan of the collars on either Arsenal or Manchester United. Yeah, the United one in particular I was going to ask you about. I didn't love it either. I was reading an article at The Athletic where they break down all the kits and they they loved that. Um, I know I, what I they're was trying surprised. to... I, I didn't. I didn't love it. I, I know what they're trying to throw back to. It's the collar from the 92-93 double winning team. Um, or, or Actually, I think they might be throwing back to the, the collar from the, the team that won the their first Premier League, their first league in 30 years. Um, didn't love it though. Okay. Didn't love it. Um, it just doesn't work. Uh, Cities away is is really nice. The red and black. That's a classic look for them. It's uh, harkening back to a jersey they had in the seventies. Mm. Um, but the home I don't like. Liver Liverpool's home is just. It looks fine when they're wearing it, but it's 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 very bland. boring. It's very bland. There's not a lot of effort gone into that. No, Whereas like we're away- just gonna we're gonna make it really red and then we're just gonna leave. Yeah, didn't love it didn't love it and for me i still think that the the nicer of the liverpool jerseys the the home jerseys in particular the last few years have been the new balance ones i'm I, nike have not pulled me over but um yeah it's very much beauty is in the eye of the beholder shall we move on of course let's go uh, connor rickard <laughs> southampton under 23 recruiting <laughs> will they be premier league ready could it go very poorly it's a great question connor um so just to give people a brief resume of what they've done the business they've done uh Romeo Lavia, 18-year-old uh, from Man City. Armel, uh, Armel Belakuchap, a 20-year-old centre defender from Bochum. Gavin Bazunu, 20-year-old goalkeeper from Manchester City. Seku Mara, a 20-year-old striker from Bordeaux. You're getting a, a sense here, right? Yeah. Now, they have signed uh, Mateusz Lys, who is a uh, Polish player, 25. And obviously, Rangers Joe Rebo, who scored that unbelievable goal. You see that? Uh, no, actually. Oh, he picks the ball up in well inside his own half. It's and just dribbles with it all the way in and just runs in the goal at the end. Uh, Joe Rebo, twenty six, which is hardly old, but um, yeah, the bulk of it is young, unproven business. Now, Southampton fans will throw back at me and say, "Look, yeah, but we kept some key, you know, some of our key uh, elder statesmen, if you want to say, uh, James Ward Prowse, key player, still there. So we're just adding this youth to the mix." I, I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong and maybe um, maybe like Sekumara comes in and scores 10, 15 goals, but I don't see a ton of goals in this side and that would concern me. Uh, yes, I would agree with you. Um, I mean, I wonder if it's the kind of business where like they're trying to get back to what made them successful 10, 11, 12 years ago 
with yeah. sort of you know the that like Lalana era version of Southampton that just sent so many players out to other teams around the Premier League. Higher well, I mean the that's table. the that's the model, isn't it? Buy yeah. buy young prospects and then flog them, right? But but that can go wrong, and these are. I mean, you could make the argument, okay, Gavin Bazuno is an experienced 20-year-old, played at Portsmouth in League One, was very, very good. Uh, you know, an international player, saved a pe- penalty from Cristiano Ronaldo last season, fine. But the others do not have a ton of senior appearances. And, yeah, I don't know, man. Well, I also don't know how much they'll be relied upon. I mean, there, like you said, there are still, like, okay, that might be the business they've done, but there are there are still players above them. So, yeah, there are, there are, but I, I think certainly in the, like I said, Sekumara, I think he's going to have to play. I, I, Andrew, there is not, for me, there is not enough goals in the side. No, there's, and, there are not. I would agree with that. And that, and that, that spells trouble for any team. James Ward-Prowse can only convert so many free kicks. But by the way, just a little inside baseball for people here. Andrew on the regular just sends me pictures, or sorry, pictures. That sounds videos. Of James Ward-Prowse free kicks that pop up, and I mean, how many times do you watch a James Ward-Prowse free kick per video? I would say you lose at least between forty-five minutes and an hour each day. I yeah, I go down James Ward-Prowse rabbit holes, and I'll just I'll just watch him convert free kicks. It's, it's fun for me. It is. It's enjoyable. Uh, Sacrum underscore G, the Holland impact on Manchester City. Uh, here we go. So, so this is. This is really interesting because let's just accept one thing that I think is universally accepted. I'm not breaking any new ground here. City aren't going to change the way that they play. So what we saw at the weekend where Holland does his bursting run through the center and he doesn't get the pass from Kevin De Bruyne. And then by the end of the game, he's literally kind of just slumped up front, kind of hardly, you'd hardly know he was playing. Um, that's not, I don't see that continuing. I, I think what we will see is that maybe he's not involved in the build-up play as much, but maybe that run is later and that surging run is made into the box uh, and maybe maybe in a more advanced position. The goal he scored at Lambeau Field in the friendly versus Borussia Dortmund where the ball is, there's intricate play and then the ball is slid into Grealish and he centers for Haaland who slides in and scores. I, that's what I expect to see. Um, but there's the impact on Man City. It's it, it's curious. Like, I he's going to have to adapt to Man City. It won't be the other way around. Would be uh, would be. Pro- I mean, yeah, I would probably. Or maybe, hey, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe De Bruyne plays that earlier. Pass. Yeah, I think so. Gab Marcotti wrote about this whole situation in the wake of what happened at the Community Shield, where yes, Holland. It was a it was a bad day for him. There's no. No one would deny that. He wouldn't deny that. Um, but there was, but the the reaction to it was, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised. Maybe that's kind of just. Please like the, don't tell me you're surprised. No, I, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised that ah, come on. that a bad performance in that game would send people, um, kind of down the avenues that they that they went down in the wake of it. I mean, it was. I don't know. I guess everybody views the Community Shield differently. For me, it's it's a glorified friendly, essentially. Um, like a ceremonial match to sort of like kick off the season, but it doesn't really mean anything. I- I'm with Gab. He said this. He was talking about sort of what you were talking about there, how guys just sort of not on quite the same page in terms of the runs that were being made. 
Gab said, blame Holland for making the wrong run or making it at the wrong time. Blame his teammates for going on autopilot rather than picking up on his movement. It's neither. Just accept the fact that chemistry is built over time, then it's hard to disengage the autopilot that brought City so much success. He reaffirmed what we already know, that his movement and ability to find space is exceptional. All that's required is for his teammates to tweak Guardiola's AI game plan to account for the fact that there's a big, fast, strong center forward leading the line, not a recycled number 10 type who drops off and wanders wide. I think... I think what you said is true. I think what Gab is saying is true. I think you'll get some kind of hybrid where, yes, it's always going to be Pep's system as long as he's there, but I don't think that they're necessarily going to discourage Holland from doing the sort of things that made him so successful before getting to City. And I think guys like De Bruyne will eventually get on the same page and they'll know, you know, they'll just they'll just learn each other's ways. This is like this is brand new. And I think you'll see I think you'll see a little bit of, of both. My time. my gut tells me the dam will break in the next few games against maybe someone like Bournemouth. And uh, and then we'll after a few weeks we'll forget he'll be scoring at a pelt where we'll forget we had this conversation initially, um, and, but, and just just for balance as well because you said you were surprised by the reaction to but a, a little bit but you're right to, though I, I should not be that's on me like I mean look the reaction to Darwin Nunez over preseason I, I mean my timeline was just flooded with these videos of him miscontrolling the ball and people saying how is this professional football <laughs> you know where's the I mean, that's just the way it is. Now, equally, Liverpool's response, Liverpool supporters' response to his performance at the weekend absolutely blew me away. I can't believe how hysterically happy they were. All right, so you're surprised too, just on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah, I am. People are just, uh, you know, I thought Nunes, the best thing about Nunes was that he was instantly involved. I thought that part of it was great. I can critique everything he did. The missed header, the terrible for, first touch on the on the offside uh, penalty foul, um, the, the, even even the way he took the actual goal, I can critique. You know, I've got to see a lot more from both players before I'm going to start making the grand proclamations, sure. negative and positive, that were made after the weekend. I'm, I'm with you. And I hate it. We'll, we'll just wait. Pass. We'll just wait three weeks for our jump to conclusions podcast. Then we'll make all those. <laughs> we might push it to a month. Um, <laughs> Will Bed Ogden, Liverpool need a midfielder. Brackets, De Jong, eyes. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, look, if I have any concern about Liverpool, it is the midfield. I mean, you've got... I was going to well, say, in footballing terms, you've got geriatrics playing in the middle of the park. That's just a fact. And, and ones, ones, who can, ones who can be injured easily enough. You've got, you had Henderson, Thiago, and Fabinho. And I love all those three players in different ways, but the drop-off then to the inexperience of what would come in and replace them is frightening. And I would have loved a midfielder to come in, but we know the way Liverpool operate. They're not spending 80 million on a centre forward and then spending another potential 50, 60 million on a centre midfielder. In, in That's just not how they work. No, it's we not, don't... But, but should it be? Like, if they... They know now what it takes. Like, there's no, there's no secrets anymore as to what it's going to take to dethrone Manchester City. I know Liverpool had had a year where they did it, but more often than not, they've fallen short. Like, is there going to be a year where they decide, okay, we do need this is the year where we do need to go above and beyond? Like, I, why, why aren't I, they involved in in like James Madison conversations? Why is it only? Well, I don't think Madison fits their style of play at all, but I think I, I could see De Jong plugging in there and, 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 and working. Uh, should they be? That's a good question. And I think that can only be 
I'm not saying do it I, every year, but like I sound like a I sound like a politician. I no, I, I get your point. You don't need to. I, I totally get your point. I don't want to sound like a politician saying we'll only know in the fullness of time. But it will break my heart if it comes to next May, and injury or or some kind of dip in form and a lack of depth in midfield is the reason we lose the Premier League because City, for example, don't gel with the, you know, it's not just, don't forget, City have lost Sterling, who was a, a cog in that machine too. Mm-hmm. So imagine Jack Grealish gets injured or he struggles with the with what he's been asked to do in the regular starts. And say City are in some way compromised. I don't see it, but imagine if they were. And the reason Liverpool don't win the league is because we didn't spend the money on a midfielder right now. That would That would be particularly galling. So I see it from that point of view. But, the flip side to that coin, Andrew, is you have to trust the process and the success that Klopp has brought to the club already and the ability of this club to season-on-season season challenge Manchester City um, is has been unbelievable. Like The thought experiment of, of a Liverpool team, of Liverpool not being what they are and City being what they are, is frightening for the Premier League. Nobody would be watching this. Um, so... So I think credit to Liverpool, and I guess you just kind of got to trust it, even though I am... And hope that they don't get injuries throughout the course uh, of the I, season. I, I'm, so, I'm desperately nervous about it, because you've seen the way it torpedoed the Champions League final last year. I mean, Thiago was not fit, mm-hmm. and not having him uh, at full fitness is... Uh, yeah, I, I, now, now I'm scared. Jesus. Okay, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Lightning Abel, do you think... Aston Villa can end up in the top six. Um, do you want to have a shot at that one, Andrew? Um, I I don't. But I'm but I, I I can't say that they they don't look like a better. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, top six? No, I don't see that. Um, but I I think. I think pretty highly of them, JJ. So there was another question. I'm going to kind of combine the two. Um, Tony in Chattanooga asked, will anybody do a West Ham this season? Will West Ham do another West Ham? Um, If by doing a West Ham, you mean kind of level up from mid-table mush to that next tier just below the top six. Aston Villa is my, my, they are my candidate to do that. Okay. So, uh, so I'll combine those two questions and say, no, I don't believe they can crack the top six, but I do believe that the, this can still be a really, in some ways, transformative year for them. The, the signing we talked, uh, uh, Kamara coming in. Which is, a really, which is a really good signing for them, by the way. Well, it could be. I mean, it seems like it is. And and signing Diego Carlos is interesting to me. It's also interesting that Tyrone Mings is no longer captain. No, and he may not, and he, he probably I don't know that he's in their starting eleven. So you think it'll be Kanza and Carlos? Yes. So that's interesting to me because I think I, I I've I've watched a fair amount of Carlos. I mean, we all have really. Um, I, I know he can be rash at times, but he's de- he's a definite upgrade there because I don't think Mings is good enough. And I always look at that that counter attacking performance from Tottenham against Villa, where Villa dominated the first half, but. Tottenham just picked them off. And a lot of it was just really naive and poor positional play by, by Mings and Kanza. And it just, it, it didn't work. So maybe that kind of center of that Villa team, the two center backs and the defensive center midfield, maybe they've solved that. And if they have, maybe you're right to think that they, they can make that step up 
from the mid-table mush to the 6-7 yeah. position. And the West Ham comparison is particularly interesting to me because I remember two years ago um, when we were talking about who's a team do you, that you think can be a surprise this coming season, and I had said West Ham because I remember looking at their first team and thinking, okay, there may not be a lot of depth here, but in terms of 1-11, through 11, that team is good enough to to kind of run with the likes of Leicester City and and that category of club. And I feel the same way about this Villa side where you know, if we yeah, if the injury bug hits them, then there'll be problems and they'll probably remain mid-table. Um, but if they can remain healthy, like I look 1 through 11, you know, I like Ollie Watkins. Leon Bailey has had a really good preseason for whatever that's worth. Philip Coutinho, Emi Buendia, Douglas Luiz, uh, John McGinn, like these are all these are all good like really good players. Um, so, you know, fullback, Matty Cash, Luca Dean, like this, Emmy Martinez is probably one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League. So 1 through 11, I think they're really good. You know injuries will happen, so that's why, no, the, the top six thing, I totally rule that out. But I don't know. I see, like, I see a, a first team there that can easily break through and be, I don't know, eight, somewhere in there. So while we're talking also about um, mentioning West Ham, rather, uh, Maxwell Cornet, Looks like he's going to sign from Burnley, so that's that's Scamica up front. Um, that's the centre half they bought earlier in the summer, and now Maxwell Corne into it. West Ham look, and and we assume West Ham are not going to lose anyone significant in the next few weeks. Certainly, there's no talk of losing Declan Rice. Mm. He's going to be club captain. So I kind of feel, you know, I'd feel good if I was a West Ham fan. Now, oh, you're yeah. asking Dave, oh my God. You're asking, if not now, when? You're asking David Moyes to, to put together another season like like happened last season. That's gonna be that's gonna be tough. But I guess but yeah. but he's done it two years in a row. Like there's no reason to think that well they they're just gonna drop off. I mean, like we I think we know this team now. They're a really good team. It would be surprising to me if there was a sudden drop off. Yeah, I I I don't know. I don't know. I, I like What's the What's going on made, with though. you in West Ham? I feel like this is a running thing now over the course of years that you're just you you won't believe. You can't. You are not allowing yourself to believe. Well, Why is I mean, that? La- last year there was. I mean, you could just see it. You could their performances in Europe. The, the I mean, they were almost in a final. Should have been in the final. Yeah. And uh, and had a great run. And for a while, we were competing for the Champions League spots. Yeah, great. Um, I I don't know. Maybe it's just because the owners ultimately. I don't. I don't trust them. Uh, but Moyes, the Moyes illusion uh, continues. Uh, Mr. Buckets, 35. What under-the-radar transfers are going to put a team on another level? Um, I've just got a few here. So uh, we mentioned Bubakar Kamara, Aston Villa. Got got him for for free from Marseille. Um, could, you know, could give a really solid midfield base to Jared's team. We mentioned him already. Gavin Bazuno, Man City, Southampton. Highly rated young goalkeeper that City have made. Sure, has a buyback clause. Is he going to start? Um, there's... There's talk he might. Is it not would, Alex McCarthy? I would start him. Um, Bias. It's, it's, I've watched so much of him, Andrew. He's just he's ready to go. And it's it's hard to watch his performances for for Ireland. And now he has had it. Did have a back injury um, during the summer, which ruled him out of some of the 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 international games. So maybe that's a a reason he doesn't start the season. But um, he is not at Southampton to not start. He's already done that at Man City and uh, started on loan at Portsmouth. I think he's very good. Um, Mark Rocca, 
Uh, Bayern Munich to Leeds United. This one flew under the radar uh, for me, only for my Leeds United supporting friend Wayne to alert me to it. I didn't even know that the transfer had happened. Uh, Rocca, he believes, will form the centre midfield uh, of Leeds United this season with Tyler Adams alongside for this uh, post-Calvin Phillips era. Yeah. Yeah, they'll try and, I guess, kind of do the work of two people that one had been doing before. Yeah, I think, ways, it'll, I think which it'll I think is, a, I, and I don't mean that to sound disparaging. Like I think that actually could be a good thing. I think it'll be more of a, a running midfield, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I had, any for you? Yeah. So I mean, I, I kind of put my own spin on this question, but the you know the gist of it is is the same. Um, so a guy you mentioned before, Connor Gallagher, back to Chelsea. I'm I find this really really interesting. So I, I say this because like. The narrative on Chelsea's transfer window right now is that it's largely been disappointing. Now, that's a little bit funny to me because they did get Koulibaly and Sterling, which for a lot of clubs would be a successful window. Um, but, like, people aren't really mentioning Conor Gallagher because he's just his loan expired, so he's just kind of back to the club where he always was. But really, I mean, he is a player that's been acquired by them. And so if, you, if he had just always been a member of Crystal Palace – and Chelsea went out and signed him as one of the best young players in the Premier League, along with Sterling and Koulibaly, I feel like we'd be saying that this is actually a pretty good transfer window for Chelsea. Now, the question is whether or not he'll play. Um, and that's that's just hard to know at this point. But I know he thinks that, it's t- it, that this was the right time, because there was a lot of discussion about whether or not he should remain on loan, whether or not he should stay at Crystal Palace, um, because of how successful that was for him there. But it, ultimately, it was him that said, "It's it's my time." Um, so he'll have to, you know, he'll have to earn it. We all, you know, Tuchel finds his guys that he trusts, and that's it. And it can be tough to work your way in, um, but I think he'll get a chance. Um, it's a World Cup year for him. He's going to probably want to be a part of that England squad. I think he's got an outside chance. He said this. He said, you can say it's a gamble in terms of coming back to Chelsea, but I feel like I'm ready for a step up. If there's a chance to be a part of the squad at Chelsea and part of the, uh, and part of the team, I can't turn it down. I feel like I've got to have belief in myself that I can help improve this team and I can show the fans and the boss what I can do. So he was one of my favorite players of last season. I'm trying to remember if I put him on my team of the season or not. If he wasn't, he was an honorable mention. Um, so I'm, I think this could be interesting for Chelsea getting him back into the fold. The question, JJ, is whether or not this is going to be like Jesse Lingard's situation with West Ham. When he went to West Ham, it was a huge success, went back to United, couldn't get on the field. Is, is, Mm -hmm. does Gallagher, is he more likely to be that or will he actually go back to Chelsea and now it's time where he can actually make an impact at that club? I think he can, but it's going to, but he's going to have to earn his chance. Okay. Any other ones? No. Nope. Just that. Okay, uh, Moon underscore Dog. How much longer do you think Klopp can coach? Does he have the same power of a Ferguson or a Wenger? Alex Ferguson did 26 years, so... I mean, Klopp, it'll Klopp, be seven years in October. October seven, 8th is the seventh start of the he's not. Seventh. He's not even a third of a Fergie. No, and he's uh, 55. Through, no. I don't think we see those type of managers anymore. I just don't... I just... And... and uh, it was a shock to me that Klopp extended till 2024. Um, now 26, right? Didn't he extend again? Yeah, sorry. Um, so I'm, I'm, I was shocked at the extension because I do think he wants to get out. His father died young, and that is definitely a concern for him. Uh, it's something he thinks about. Um, his wife was uh, one of the ones that convinced him to continue. I, 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 
I don't see stretches like Ferguson or Wenger happening again, not in the modern game. But if he's oh. still Liverpool's manager in, let's say, 2030, would you be stunned? I'd be surprised. Okay, I would too. I think there's. I mean, he puts everything into this. Like, yeah, you always talk about the emotion with him, and you can just see. You know, I feel like I don't know. I don't know the guy, but just watching him, like, I feel like burnout is always just lurking around the corner. Well, I mean, he did burn out. He he hated that uh, COVID season. Well, uh, him and everyone just, else, but yeah, but he he was like visibly irritated all the time. Um, so I don't, um, no, I don't, I, I don't think he's going to, uh, I don't think anyone's going to go that distance. And finally, and uh, San Marzano, which newly promoted clubs turf is JJ most excited to analyze? Well, we play on grass, uh, San Marzano. Um, I, I love the city ground, just its geographical location, uh, along the river Trent. It's beautiful. Um, I what I love about their their field is going to be immaculate uh, in August, September, October. But I love that it will just get a little thin and a little patchy. I expect round where well, we're going to have the break. So maybe it won't actually. Maybe that whole patchy field will be taken away from me because there'll be no games played on it hmm. because of the World Cup. Oh no! Oh. Um, but I do like uh, Forest. How Forest midwinter the, the the surface is still good, but you've got that kind of that dirt down the sidelines and a couple of patches that really keeps it, um, you know, makes, makes it a, a different kind of a surface for the winter. And also aesthetically looks, uh, I love where green grass runs to the white line. Oh, and then just behind the white line, you get that, that kind of little bit of dirt. I love that. Um, so yeah, I would say the city ground, uh, Nottingham. All right. That's it. Uh, I had a couple. A oh, couple did you? Ones. Well, I went, I, I went onto the Reddit page and the animals had started a couple threads, actually, of questions that they wanted to Two submit. Two threads, the yeah. absolute animals. <laughs> yeah, that's why they, they've they earned that nickname. Um, so there were a couple other ones that I saw that I wanted to throw out there real quick. Uh, Rain City Pete asked, who are the players on each of the top six clubs that they cannot afford to lose to injury? Um, I'm just going to go through real quick, one through six. Manchester City, I- I'm not trying to be silly here or anything. Literally no one. Like, I would have said Kevin De Bruyne, but we've seen him get hurt, and it doesn't matter. In the interest of answering the question, Andrew, jeez, I'm going to say De Bruyne or Ederson. I mean, I guess, but I would say honestly, if either, it won't change. It won't really change my opinion all that much if they lose one of those guys. And I, you know, I think the world of De Bruyne. He's my Player of the Year pick every year. But I, I I don't know. I get that, but you got to pick one, so we're picking those. No, I went with no one. Liverpool. I said Van Dyke. Fair. Although the way you talked about their midfield earlier, I would say that Thiago would also. Any one of Thiago, Fabinho. But I just think I I think the presence of Van Dyke allows Trent and Robertson to do what they do in attack because they kind of know that they have that back there. As I would I would agree totally with you. Tottenham, I said Kane. That'll probably my be my answer for as long as he plays for them. Um, Chelsea, I said Mason Mount for many of the reasons that I discussed on part one of our preview edition. No, I'd say Angola Conte. Okay. That's fair. I wouldn't wouldn't fight you on that. Uh, Arsenal, I had a hard time with Arsenal. I wound up saying Odegaard because I sort of think he's the engine for them that's going to drive them in attack. It's a new Arsenal, isn't it? It's hard to know. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you had said Bukayo Saka, I wouldn't I wouldn't kill you for that. I'm going to say uh, Zinchenko already. Okay. Even Jesus, um, 
know, because he will probably be leaned on for goal scoring. They spent a lot of money on him, so he better provide goals. So I, I could even see him. Uh, Man United also I, I had a bit of a hard time with. I wound up saying Jaden Sancho just because I feel like a breakout season is coming, and also I just don't want to stunt his growth. He doesn't need time away on and off and on and off. Just let the guy play under this new I'd say I'd say Bruno Fernandes. Okay. Even right. though last season wasn't great. Uh, let's see. Red Devils 0204. Which player are you hoping exceeds expectations this year? I went. I don't have one. I don't have one for this. I went hardcore American. Um, we spoke on part one of the podcast about Chris Richards and will he get a chance uh, to earn that spot next to Walker Zimmerman on the U.S. roster? He can't get that chance if he doesn't play. Right now, I don't know. The expectations are probably low. I hope he exceeds them. I want to know going into this World Cup, okay, he's good. He can do it. Uh, I feel good about that other center back spot. So I would love to see that. And Pulisic as well. Because what are, JJ, what are Pulisic's expectations right now? I don't even know. Well, we're considering, I mean, if, if, if Timo Werner's moved on and if we believe, and we're not sure that Hakim Ziyech will be gone as well. Then Pulisic is an automatic starter, surely. All right. I mean, that's a couple things that have to happen for him to play. No, I think he'll play ahead of Ziyech anyway. Okay. Um, Todd Bowley will demand it. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, Bukayo Saka fanboy. wonder who he supports. Uh, he said, will this season be a disappointment for Arteta if Arsenal don't end their Champions League drought? That's a really interesting question to me. I would say, I, is it? I would say yes. Yeah, I, I, I guess so as well. Because I don't think they're like that far off of Chelsea or Tottenham. But by the same token, I don't know that it's most people's expectation for them to qualify for the Champions League. So if the expectation isn't to do that, is it a disappointment if you don't do that thing? You know what I mean. I, 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 I think after last season's like slump right at the end at the crucial moment, this will be it will be a disappointment if they don't do this. I guess. But like if the expectation is to finish fifth, can you say it's a disappointment for not having exceeded your expectation? Uh, maybe I'm selling them short. Maybe maybe You're wrapping me up. You're wrapping me up here. It's not a I riddle. Think, I think Arsenal, I think put it all together. I think the finish to last season it soured what was a what would have felt like a positive campaign for Arsenal. It definitely did. They go into the summer. They make some serious signings in Chenko, Gabriel Jesus. Mm -hmm. There's a there's Tierney coming back from injury. There's a little bit of buzz about it. They have a great preseason and they're entering with hope. Capture all that and say they finish fifth. I think that's uh, that's going to be disappointing. Okay, that's fair. Uh, is that it? That's it, my friend. There were I will say there were there were a lot of others. I apologize to all the ones that we did not get to, but it would have been impossible. It would have been impossible. And also I have good news for all of you. The mailbag does not go away. We of course try to do one every week. Sometimes we miss a week here or there, but continue to send them, please, because it's one of our favorite things to do on this podcast is to go through the mailbag and answer all of your your questions. I'll tell you who's gonna do the question answering, JJ. Oh, boy, we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a break, and then Peter Drury will answer our questions. I can't wait for this. One of our favorite commentators, and he's the new voice of the Premier League here in the United States for NBC. He joins us next. More Caught Offside still to come. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside, part two of our special EPL preview podcast. It rolls along, and this is... 
This is the highlight. We've been promoting it, and we're so excited that it is finally here. His voice has provided the soundtrack to so many of soccer's biggest moments throughout this generation, and now he'll be doing it as the new lead Premier League play-by-play voice here in the United States. Going to make his debut Friday at 3 Eastern time on the USA Network as NBC Sports begins its 10th season as the exclusive U.S. home of the Premier League. JJ, it's Peter Drury on the program now. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you, guys. I'm a very excited individual. We're very close to it all starting up, and... um... Like football fans everywhere, I can't wait. Yeah, Peter, I I hate to interrupt the 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 excitement here, but there's some people uh, I, I presume back in the UK who are not so happy. Um, so I I just put your name into Twitter today. I know you. I I don't believe you're on social media, but I'm I, not. I, I I just wanted to check, and I I barely had Drury spelt out when I saw this. It just dawned on me that there won't be primary or uh, Peter Drury in the Premier League anymore. And then head in hands emoji. And then Gregory says, I'm not mentally prepared for a Premier League season without Peter Drury. So uh, our gain is very much somebody else's loss, it seems. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, those are very flattering things for me to hear. I, I don't, JJ, take them uh, overly seriously. I, I take them uh, as they are meant and they're very kind compliments. But for me, it's all about the football. You know, it's all about the game. Um a commentator, as I always say, is audio wallpaper. I'm incidental. I'm by the side. Um, and people, I'm sure, will very quickly elsewhere in the world where I've been broadcasting the Premier League um, come to realise that what attracts them to it, or I'm sure many do already realise, is the game itself. And it's a fantastic package. Um, and I've been very, very lucky in over the last decade or more to, to um, broadcast it to large chunks of the English-speaking world. And now it's just going to be in America, and and I'm going to miss a lot of the rest of the world, but I'm going to really look forward to embracing America. Um, and uh, I I hope um, America can uh, give me some love back too. But, um, you know, yeah, there are a lot of connections that uh, get broken at this point, and that's a shame. There are a lot of people in Africa and Asia and, and all over the English-speaking world that I'm going to miss. Uh, let's focus on the America part of that, Peter, because you, of course, are now the voice of this league here in this country. And, you know, I'm sure in doing that, you've obviously come to realize what a big deal the Premier League is here. Uh, I'm wondering if there was a moment somewhere along the way where it really crystallized for you that, like, Americans are wildly into this thing. <laughs> uh, I've been, um, guys, I've been very aware of that for quite a while because... Um, NBC's relationship with the Premier League, I know, has been one that has, has blossomed beautifully. Uh, and there have been similar relationships prior to it. Um, long gone, long gone. It's it's almost an outdated conversation now to have um, this debate around uh, America's readiness to to embrace our league and our game. Um, America has is now a mature a Premier League audience. It, it doesn't need talking down to, patronising, sort of welcoming like a new boy or girl uh, to the family. It is absolutely there. Um, and I will treat it as such. Let, let me assure you that um, when I start doing the game on Friday night, I, I won't be doing it in any way differently to the way I would do it if I was talking to an English audience or an international audience anywhere else in the world. Um I, I I get that America gets it, and it doesn't need me to explain it. I think that's a refreshing thing to hear. 
So we won't be hearing endless comparisons between the Liverpool dynasty or the Manchester United dynasty with the Lakers or the Celtics. I think that's that's going to be good. Um, just it's, I, I want to ask a commentary question before we get into the football, Peter, if you'll indulge me. Um, mm. So we had a, a big loss in the American broadcast community. I don't know if you're aware, uh, the Dodger uh, play-by-play commentator, a legendary figure in American sports, Vin Scully, passed away. And I was watching back some of his highlights, some of his big calls. And what I noticed was he was very much, he would call the big moment. He would, he would say what happened and then he would stand back and kind of let the pictures or, or the crowd take over. And as I was growing up, that was the way things were with, with George Hamilton and, 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 and the great yeah. Barry Davies in soccer commentary. But I feel like that's changed. I feel as if we're in the same more moment. Um, and I'm curious, you're on the inside. What Was there a moment in soccer commentary where it was decided or, or where it became en vogue to, to say more? Um, well, first of all, JJ, lovely to hear you talk about George, who has been a great friend of mine over the years and the, the great uh, legendary Irish uh, commentator, as well as Barry Davis, who was very kind to me um, through uh, the early part of my career, by the way. But um, what I would say is I, I don't think there's been a deliberate change. Maybe there's been uh, an inclination towards more words. Um, and, and although I am, I suppose, a user of words, it's something... Um, against which, to some extent, I try to fight. I think in the moment, there still has to be space for the natural noise. Um, and I, I must say, you can, you can never preconceive the way a goal is going to go. But, but for me, shouting the moment and then letting it breathe for at least a few seconds is a preferable way of going about it. You, you, you've got to understand that there are 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people expressing their emotion around that goal and if the job of television is to bring the game into people's homes then um they want to hear it natural so yeah i i think when the ball hits the net i think there's space for a line i then think there's space to let the crowd do its thing and then perhaps it's time for the secondary line and the analysis and all that goes with it um you know right back in the day of course, there was a period when commentators were alone. There wasn't necessarily a pundit, a co-commentator with them. Right. Uh, and I suppose that, that that lent itself naturally to more silence because there wasn't a second or third voice to accommodate. Peter, have you done any or, or many commentaries on your own and what do you prefer? Uh, I haven't done many for a long, long time. I mean, way back, yes, when doing um, matches for highlights and so on, where you don't have a co-commentator, when it's not live, I've, I've done plenty of that. Um, but, you know, it's such a long time now that uh, I, I think, I, I don't say I'd be lost, but I would certainly miss another individual to bounce off. Um, I, I think it's useful to have a sort of natural um human interaction uh, and it's also in truth and this is very basic stuff but it's a safety blanket you know if you're misreading a game or even if you get something a little bit wrong it's handy to have someone in a very natural human way to to be alongside you give you an, a, a gentle nudge and point you back in the right direction and, and we're all capable of those things um you know a, a friend alongside you is is in any situation in life never a bad thing to have Peter, you mentioned before about, you know, a goal happens 
you meant you, you say the goal, you let it breathe, and then you have your your line after that in a secondary line. And for you, some of those lines have become iconic. You know, we we've mentioned on this show Manolas, the Greek god in Rome. Uh, with that in mind, I, I saw this tweet from Football Conspiracies, and I wanted to read it to you. It says. Uh, Peter Drury is a time traveler and has already seen the outcome of some matches. That's how he's able to make pinpoint and very well-written commentaries. <laughs> First, can you confirm or deny this as a time traveler? And second, uh, in all seriousness, before a match, is there any thought process as to, okay, well, if this person scores, this might be a direction I want to go with what I say afterwards, or is it all spontaneous? Uh, it, I've got to say it's spontaneous. Um, I, I, I only don't like answering that question because it sounds as though I'm blowing my own trumpet. But um, if you try to pre-script something that happens live in a live sporting event, that event won't quite work out the way you anticipate it. I wouldn't deny that maybe early in my career, um, I did jot things down. And sometimes when I listen to them back, it was a bit cringy, you know, because it's so obvious. Um, what, what I would say about that Manalas goal is that if, if somebody really believes that on the night before that game, when Roma were 3-0 down and needed to score a third goal to get back in front of Barcelona, um, and that it would be scored by a Greek centre-half, who in that game was about the 25th most likely player to score a goal, mm -hmm. if, if he thinks that I had time the night before to, to sit down and uh, anticipate that goal in any sense, then he must think there are more than 24 hours in my day. Um, you know, there just isn't time to do that, even if there was the inclination. Um, so, you know, that, that was a particular one where a peculiar burst of words came out of my mouth. Um, and for some reason, it seemed to resonate with people. But um, I'm not saying you have to like it, uh, like it or don't like it, but uh, please believe me when I say that, no, it was certainly not pre-scripted. Peter, when you look ahead to this season, or indeed any season, because like you said, I don't think that much is technically going to change for you in terms of of, of just being on the ground and, and, and being in the ground uh, at these great games for in English football. But if there's is there a ground, a stadium, or, or a fixture where you look at your schedule, you see it and you think, oh, I, I am so up for this? <laughs> it, it sort of happens every week, to be honest, uh, JJ. I, I, I don't want to come over all angelic and, and so on and paint a picture that's maybe a bit skewed. But honestly, uh, I am repeatedly acutely aware of how lucky I am to do what I do. And every time I turn up at a football match, um, I don't have to try very hard to remind myself that there are people who are paying a lot of money to be at the same football match for which I'm being paid to work. Um, you know, so it, it's it is a very, very privileged position. And I love the English Premier League. I love the, the culture of English football. And therefore, I love many, if not all of its venues, each of which for me has a has a slightly different nuance, a different feel, a different mood. Um, you know, th this this opening weekend, I'm going to Crystal Palace, which is sort of down in gritty South London. Um, fantastically diverse community, wonderfully noisy crowd. And then I go up to Everton, which is one of our great remaining old uh, northern stadia, which which has a has a mood all to itself. And then back down to West Ham, you know, in the 
brand sparkling new Olympic Stadium in London, you know, um, and, and each of those has has a feel to itself um, and and turning up at, at each of those places um, brings uh, brings, you know, <laughs> without overstating it, joy to my heart. I, I, I love what I'm lucky enough to do. Peter, in, in talking about that, you know, as an audience during the pandemic, I think we were all really reminded of just how much atmosphere matters, of how it kind of changed mm. the whole tenor of the game. What about as a broadcaster? Did you find that as well, that it was just a, a far different experience calling those games in empty grounds? Yeah, funnily enough, I mean, this takes us back to the conversation about hearing the crowd and not hearing too much of the commentator. Uh, if, if, if you go back to the sort of very roots of, of commentary, why does a commentator shout when the ball goes in the net? Essentially, it's because 40 or 50,000 other people are shouting and it's the natural thing to do. So shouting in an empty stadium was peculiar um, and, and felt somehow incongruous. It felt like being sort of a soloist in front of a choir who's crept away behind you off the stage without you knowing. You know, you felt terribly exposed and unnatural. Um, and it was, if it was good in any sense, it was, it was good that that lockdown period in football to remind us that there is nothing more important than the paying spectator and i and i would say this as someone whose whose career has been in 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 broadcasting we in television have to remember that as a televisual spectacle it would be nothing without the people who pay to go in um and whilst we got away with it and we plastered over the gaps for however many months it was when there weren't supporters, that was not sustainable. Um, and uh, th that is simply key. You know, the, the fan, the, the, the mores, the ethic of, of English football, just the way it is, um, is, is at the heart of what makes the Premier League so great. And, um, you know, as I say, I can't wait for those different moods of crowd, which which kind of paint the pictures of sound for us um, when the season starts. Looking ahead to the football uh, specifically, Peter, any concerns about the duopoly that is, uh, well, we're in our, what, maybe fourth or fifth season of it now between Manchester City and Liverpool at the top of the table? Any, any concerns about the competitiveness of that? Are we going to see more of the same this season? Is there a possible uh, insurgent in North London, in Tottenham? What, what's your feeling on it? JJ, it doesn't worry me because it's such a fantastic rivalry, that one alone. Manchester City and Liverpool have produced three or four fabulous seasons, you know, in a row, kind of by themselves. And, and I know there's a theory around, and it's not unreasonable one, that we should be immensely grateful to Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp for creating a duopoly, without mm. which, you know, it could easily be a Manchester City monopoly. Um, I do expect those two to be the strongest clubs again this year. Um, and if they are, that's fine. It's up to the rest to catch them up. But I don't expect them to go entirely unchallenged. You know, it's, it's, it's worth recalling that Chelsea were in the mix almost up to Christmas last year. Chelsea had a fabulous start to the season. And there's no reason, although they've had a, a poor preseason, as uh, American fans in particular will know, uh, there's no reason why they can't uh, challenge again. Um, Tottenham, are creating a lot of excitement. You know, they've recruited well. They've got Conte at sort of peak motivation levels. Um, and uh, th there are plenty who believe in their capacity to come back. 
Arsenal remain a, a, a young and vibrant team, which is learning and getting better week on week on week. Um, and, and so expect them to take points off the big boys too. And although there will still be a lot of cynics out there and perhaps with good reason, you know, Manchester United won't be down amongst the dead men forever. You know, one day Manchester United will be back in it. Um, perhaps Eric Ten Hag's the man. That, that's the sort of great imponderable. So whatever happens, it won't be dull. No, never is. Those are some of the teams that intrigue you. What about on a more kind of individual level? Who are some of the players uh, that you're most excited about this season? Well, I mean, we've already seen in the Community Shield, obviously, that this battle between the two new uh, centre-forwards, Nunez for Liverpool um, and Haaland for Manchester City. Uh, you know, that is that is going to be gripping. That's going to be uh, on on Sunday, the, the big story. How does Erling Haaland settle uh, into the Premier League? The guy is just an extraordinary specimen. Um, he's young. He's immensely strong. He's fast and powerful. He seems fearless in front of goal. Uh, and I don't think anybody will command as much attention over the early weeks as, as he does. Um, and we'll see how he copes with that scrutiny. On the face of it, he, he seems completely impervious. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to bother him at all. But, you know, when the ball starts rolling, we'll see. Um, it'll be fascinating to see how Raheem Sterling does at Chelsea. You know, that's that's a, a really interesting one. I'm interested too by Tottenham uh, and the the captures they've made. Bissouma, I think, really um, reinforces their midfield. And, and Richarlison, who did very well in a small Premier League club at Watford and got his move sort of halfway to Everton and was largely responsible um, for the kind of key moments that kept them in the Premier League last year. He's had another... Another big move now, and it'll be really interesting to see whether he can sort of step up into a Champions League level club uh, too. So, again, clubs um, and individuals, fascinating. Uh, Peter, do you see anyone from outside of maybe the established order doing what West Ham did last season, say, breaking uh, towards that top four or five, hanging in there for a little bit, uh, obviously not fulfilling that that. I suppose, glimmer of hope for Champions League football and then uh, just having a solid season. Um, do you see anyone from from further down the table that might do that this season? Well, I, to be honest, JJ, if I, if I was looking for someone to repeat what West Ham did last year, it would probably be West Ham. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're very, very well managed by um, by David Moyes. Um, whenever I say David Moyes, I, I still automatically think of Everton and that there's... There's a sort of romantic part of me because of the wonderful work that Frank Lampard did at the back end of last year, which wonders whether he could recharge them. Having said which, I'm, I'm not yet convinced that, you know, that they have freshened up enough from a team that struggled for so much of last season. So maybe that's a little uh, over-optimistic on behalf of uh, Evertonians. But no, I, th I think it feels to me as though West Ham are the best of the rest. Um but to a large extent, that sort of thing, you know, depends on how much Europe takes out of them. West Ham might have done even better had they not had that long, long run in the Europa League, which almost bizarrely became their priority over the sort of spring, early summer months last season. It might have cost Certainly. them points, which, uh, which could have taken them to the very cusp of the, uh, the Champions League. Uh, Peter, finally, last one. Your new broadcast partners, your co-commentators, Lee Dixon, Graham Lasseau. What's your familiarity with them? Have you worked together before? Yeah, I've worked with both of them, actually. I mean, I, I was a sub on uh, NBC four or five years back, so I did some work with them both then. 
Uh, I've worked with Graham way back too on domestic English television. Um, I've been on the Premier League circuit anyway, whilst they have over this this last eight, nine, ten year period. So we've often been sat next to each other on freezing, windy television gantries all over the country, and we know each other well. And um, whilst I'm not going to say anything without touching wood about the weekend that comes up, because it's a big weekend and I don't want to tempt any fate, one thing I'm pretty convinced about is that the three of us are going to get on fine because we kind of already do. Um, so whilst there are no givens in sport or broadcasting, we all know that, um, one thing I'm, I'm reasonably confident about is that Graham and Lee and I will be mates. Will you keep texting and keep in touch with Jim Beglin? We need to know this. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I mean, I'll see him on the circuit too. Jim is a great, great friend of mine, and I've shared many, many happy personal and professional moments with him. He's a, he's a lovely guy, um, a proud Irishman, JJ, oh, and, yes. um, uh, as well as having been a very fine footballer in his day, and, and by the way, an outstanding broadcaster. He's, I'll he's... miss He's tremendous. You can tell him, though, that we are serving him legal papers. He's starting a podcast called Caught Onside. This is Caught Offside, and, and that won't stand. <laughs> OK, I'll warn him. <laughs> well, good stuff. We can't wait. It begins Friday at 3 at Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace and Arsenal on the USA Network. Peter Drury, the new voice of the Premier League here in the United States. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Lovely to talk to you, and, and thanks for your encouraging words. Really appreciate it. Wow. Peter Drury. Andrew, I was um, I was worried about my question to him where I asked him about more words and commentators saying more and should they say less. I hope he didn't take it as a criticism. I don't think so. That... No, I don't think so either. But I do feel like there's been some kind of a change. Um, and listening to listening to Vince Scully reminded me of old school football commentators. Yeah, Soccer I mean, Vince Scully was he was famous for it. I mean, he kind of almost here in the in the states at least he kind of turned it into an art form like i think yeah. it's um which one is it is i think it's after the bill buckner play where he he announces what happens the mets win and then he, and he lets it go he doesn't speak i think it's for three and a half minutes yeah and, and it's and it's great <laughs> like it, it is great you want to hear from him like he's a great announcer but you're also like but he knows when it's not his turn um Do you, can you yeah. answer me something and i know it's different but the Buckner moment, I mean, Liverpool's Buckner moment was... Gerrard. We'll say Crystal Palace. Well, it was Gerrard, but it was it was probably the Crystal Palace game then where they were... Well, the they slip were is like a literal comparison. Yeah, sure. But the moment where it was gone, it was over, it was lost. And, and do you remember, I can't quite, I hope I get the sequence right. I don't know if the commentary team finished at Sellers Park through to Rebecca Lowe, she made a quick comment, and then they let the cameras yes. roll. Do you remember that? Yeah, they, the camera basically caught. followed Suarez all around. And Gerard tried to bat the camera away, and mm -hmm. but it, but they left it run, and they shot to the stands, and they saw um, Liverpool supporters crying, and they, they followed. Like, Suarez was inconsolable. Yeah. Inconsolable. Um, he, buried, he put his jersey over his head and was weeping, and they said nothing. NBC, they are very good at that after these games. But that's they, what they do you that should well. do. Yeah, always. I don't. I don't need to hear studio analysis, especially after a moment like that. Right, and, and that um, that'll always be there. Like the analysis will be there. We'll get it. But like yeah. you, but those moments, if if you ruin them or you miss them, you don't get those again. That's it. Don't 
yeah, you, there's, there's sometimes there's no need for talk. Yeah. Um, well, I can't wait to hear this guy as the voice of the Premier League here in the U.S. I mean, obviously we've heard him, but now to actually have him be the lead commentator uh, for NBC, like we said, USA Network on Friday, it begins with Arsenal and Crystal Palace, and he'll be on the call. Should be awesome. Our thanks to him and NBC as well for uh, for providing Peter in this uh, what is a very busy week getting ready for the season. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead now, take one more break. We'll come back, and it's prediction time, JJ. We'll roll through them, and then... And then that's it. Then we're on our way. All right. More caught offside still to come. Back again on caught offside. Here we go. Finally, at the end of the preseason preview, season beckons. The thing we dread, JJ, predictions. We'll go through them quick. Admittedly, right. some years I, I pour over it. I, I didn't do that this year. I kind of just went, okay, what, what's your gut? Boom, go with it. I think that's a good way to do it. All right, let's start bottom three. I'm going to go first, if that's all right. Sure. Bournemouth, Brentford, Southampton. Southampton, oh. was, the, Southampton was the tough one for me. But if you've listened to the first Rock part— Rock bottom. I don't know who—those are just my three. It's not necessarily— 20th, 19th, 18th. I don't know, but that that's just my three. If you've been listening to my thoughts on Southampton over the first one and a half parts of this preview, you you could probably have gotten a sense that that was coming. But like they used to be your darling. I know, but here's the thing. Like those days that's over. Those like look at their if you look at their last 5 years, people might hear me say Southampton and be like, "Oh, whoa. Here's their last 5 years in the Premier League. 15th, 15th, 11th, 16th, 17th. They've been flirting with this for a while, quietly. And I think this may be when it catches up with them. No more quiet flirting. It's full on, I want you. Sure. Sure. What do you have? Uh, I've got, uh, oh God. And this is in, 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 in the order of how I feel to finish. Everton, Fulham, Bournemouth. <laughs> oh, no. And this is, you are... again, I... I I hate. I'm, I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to stop saying it. I'm, I'm going to let it be because it's 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 been a frustration for a while. Literally, the only frustration about the podcast. Nothing I say is because I'm a Liverpool supporter, except when I'm talking about Liverpool Do you and, know what you, I mean? and United. But continue. But no, Andrew, please don't do that oh, because I I've already got it from United fans. It's it's so frustrating. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I genuinely am giving people my opinions, and um, and sometimes I think it was the worst thing we ever did that we revealed. Uh, who we supported on oh, this podcast. Oh, what, are we going to hide it? Nah. Whatever. But um, the, the Evertonians, this is not... I just... I look at the squad right now. I look at the manager. Now... JJ, here's what, here's, two- here's what I would tell you to calm those nerves. They they are also very nervous. You're not out of bounds for feeling this way. Yeah. They're, I, I just, they're, I look they're at- afraid coming into this season. They are. Now, if someone wants to tell me, JJ, you are being totally swayed by all the transfers that uh, Nottingham Forest have made, and they've got to put this all together, and 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 Forest are unproven at this level, and at least Everton have players who've played in the Premier League. Fine, I under I understand that, but I look at that squad, and I just see bleakness right now, complete bleakness. I don't see a ton of goals unless a goal scorer emerges from nowhere. Right. I see players that they've spent money on in in the in January, and they've come into the club who have who didn't. I mean, Delhi Alley springs to mind. I just see holes in the center of the park. Maybe they get Idris Sagana Gay back. We're hearing rumors that that might happen. 
does that change things? Maybe a little bit for me, but it's a it's an older it's a, it's an older player coming back to the club. I just I I just see doom, okay. and um, and I don't think Fulham and Bournemouth are just good enough. So uh, that is the bottom three. Okay, uh, manager of the year. This will not sound good considering one of the clubs that you just sent down. But whatever, I'm going to double down. In part one, my prediction for the newly promoted side that will exceed expectations or will finish the highest of the promoted teams was Fulham. So that's usually how I pick my manager of the year at the end of the season, whoever exceeds expectations the most. A lot of people probably don't think a ton of them. If I think they're going to be the best of the newly promoted, then I may as well say Marco Silva. Oh, okay. <laughs> Marco so, Silva, manager of the year. It that's will be, right. Uh, it will be a great redemption story. I mean, if I had told you in this episode last year that it, my pick at the end of the year would be Patrick Vieira, you'd be saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I, my manager of the year, Jurgen Klopp. Well, that's a glimpse of things to come, potentially. Uh, top scorer, I went with Harry Kane. I've gone with Hyungman Son. Oh. He's, uh, I might as well tell you now, he's my player of the year, too. Oh. Wow. Now, I mean, this could all be... T- There's a World Cup right in the I'm, middle of this season. Uh, I'm that's touched. Gonna, that could torpedo Son. But I just think the form from last season and um, just his general play and the moment Tottenham are in right now should be a platform for him to be... to go from criminally underrated <laughs> to uh, to rated. Uh, so, player of the year, you, you've already given yours with Son. Um I will give mine, and it's De Bruyne. I I think it will work. And this, people say this league is boring. <laughs> I think I've done this like six of the last seven years. I think he's been my pick. Oh my god! Um, yeah, hate it. All right. Hate it all you hey. want. That's how I feel. Uh, and top four in order, leading from fourth to champion. Uh, I went fourth, Chelsea, third, Tottenham. Second, Liverpool City champions again. Okay. Um, I've gone fourth, Arsenal, three, Tottenham, so it's a North London 4-3. Liverpool, two, Manchester City, one, and for what it's worth, Manchester United, fifth, Okay. Chelsea, sixth. So City Um, champions again. Interesting to me, uh, the the dichotomy of Klopp, manager of the year, yeah, without Liverpool overtaking City is interesting to me. Yeah, I just I just feel it'll happen. Oh, oh okay. Maybe an award, <laughs> maybe an, would, like, be an, an award, for an interesting in touch. explanation, an, an award from for keeping in touch. Oh, look, I mean, look, it could be it could be Guardiola too. I think that's uh, when you see what City and Liverpool are. I'm not, I'm not sure about that award at all. Don't worry, it'll be Marco Silva. <laughs> That'll do it. My- that's it. You got more. That's it. I'm ready. I believe all of you out there are ready now. I don't think anyone's ready, but no. but it's happening. So get on with it. <laughs> this was so much fun, genuinely. Uh, can't wait. Friday at three o'clock. It begins with Arsenal and Crystal Palace, and then and then we're off. You got all your games this weekend, and it's it's a thing of beauty. The league is back. Ah, it's a beautiful thing, JJ. I got nothing left. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this to you. To you I say Take it later, fun boy. I'll see you later, man. Up the rovers. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 